Welcome back to DocSF Venture 2023. I'm Dr. Stephen Obini, your host for this podcast and the chair of the Digital Orthopedic Conferences San Francisco. We were very impressed in January with the presentation from one of our sponsors, Canary Medical, on the early interpretation of implantable data. The audio is a touch faint and we apologize for that, but let's still welcome Dr. Bill Hunter from Canary Medical to the DocSF stage in San Francisco in January of 2023. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to now invite Dr. Bill Hunter, MD, the founder, president, and CEO of Canary Medical. The company's technology is behind the Zipper Biomed IQ prosthesis we just talked about. The first total knee implant with a sensor. Yeah, it was a pretty exciting time when that happened. I was there in the audience watching. But there's more to the story that the hunters here to tell us all about it. Welcome. Thank you, and Kyle. Thank you for the introduction. So if I can go to the first slide. First thing I want to say is that the product is only indicated for helping with normal routine clinical maintenance. Almost everything I'm going to talk about here today has not been evaluated by the SBA. I wanted to do this more like a medical meeting, so I'm going to show you a lot of data that has not been submitted to the FDA yet. So this will come as no surprise to anybody in the room. Gates actually pretty important. It's what separates us from trees. It requires an intact cardiovascular system, musculoskeletal system, neurological system, respiratory system. It's a very high order and highly concerned function. And our belief is that you're going to be able to see a lot of impactful changes across that, far beyond just, am I limping after my TKO? If you think about the last time you were sick, you had the flu or something like that, you don't walk the same way as you do when you're late for a meeting. You don't walk the same way when you have cardiovascular disease or you're having an acute asthma attack. And so I think there's a lot to be learned here as we go along. We're collecting a variety of things. First, I would call activity metrics. So the kind of things you can get off an iWatch, so step count, cadence, stride length, distance travel, stuff like that. That's all done with low resolution sensors. Then three times a day, we go to 800 hertz, which is about 40 times more than a wearable. And of course, since that's coming from inside the knee, we're looking at even things like osteo integration, vibration, you know, how well that implant is behaving and very precise three-dimensional movement. So this is the system. This little beast here is pretty much like a pacemaker. The battery lives up in the metal and we use pacemaker battery to do it. The transmitter is in the tip. It's like an airplane. We need to put a nose cone on it in order to get the data off and out. But instead of powering leads, in the middle we're powering sensors, so 3D gyroscopes, 3D accelerometers, step counters, things like that, because we're looking at movement. That is then transmitted every night via radio station to the cloud. The next day the doc is looking at patient status, so as a patient, we're not doing it in real time. If we did, we'd run out of power in two or three days. But the amazing thing is the power draws are so low, and pacemaker batteries are so good, we think we're going to be able to pull 20 years of data off of a patient with nothing for them to wear. We have another base station for the operating room, which hopefully will mean that the implant will be able to communicate per robot at some point in the future, so we have a feedback loop there. And then there's a little bit like an event recorder. My background's from cardiology, not orthopedics, but a little bit like an event recorder. So if your patient is having a problem, you can press the button, you can light up the knee, you can see what's going on inside the knee while you're doing the physical thing. So this is what it looks like. This is a person walking at 0.5 meters per second on a treadmill, obviously with the strap on the outside. This is what I call a normal sinus rhythm of gait. So this is a three-dimensional tracing of gyroscopes and accelerometers. We have six channels of those coming in, so we have a lot of positional information. 
We can then turn that into range of motion and we can turn that into gait. So we're not just looking at how many steps you take, we're looking at the quality of those steps. And you can see that if I put a knee brace on you so that you lose about 20 degrees of extension, you can see with the naked eye that you have a totally different tracing. AFib looks different than normal sinus rhythm, that's like how it's AFib. So you get these characteristic patterns with each type of movement abnormality. You can then turn that into a range of motion and you can tell the physiotherapist, for example, that not only is the patient limping, but they're limping because they're missing 20 degrees of extension. The right leg gives you an idea of exactly what you need to do. Once you have hundreds of these, millions of these, I think we have well over a quarter billion of them now, you start to be able to do what we do with ECG, which is match physiology to problems, right? ECG is an electrical tracing, but we use it for myocardial infarction, we use it for ischemia, we use it for myocarditis, we use it for infection. That's because the patterns have become diagnostic in those particular situations. We're not there yet here, but that's where we're aiming the moat, and that's where we'd like to get to. So this is what we did when we threw the first ones in at HSS, and we stopped by the computer screen praying that we would actually get data And we'd show these things to the docs. We'd show them things like activity, walking speed, stride length, cadence. We'd show them range of motion. We'd show them gait. And they'd say, you know, that that's really great and everything, but what does it mean? If my patient's walking 0.4 meters per second, what do I do with that? Once we had a few hundred patients, we were able to do this, which is kind of stratify it out so that you could tell where your patient was on that curve. So the answer to the question I posed is, if you're 0.4 meters per second the first week post-op, you're actually pretty normal. You get up to three months and you're walking that way, that's actually quite concerning. And so we could follow those patients both temporally and percentage-wise, we could see if people were doing well, but we could also see if they fell off and dropped off or if they were starting to improve. A little bit like the pediatric growth curves we all use when we were younger, just trying to see how that behaved. So I'll give you a, a very pragmatic example because we're there with that now, thinking about contraction. Standard of care right now is like an old-fashioned goniometer, measuring patients, typically done at about six weeks or so. A lot of patients miss that visit. I was interested in the economics since I did not realize that it's about 28% of readmissions in the first 90 days. I also didn't realize that the cost is anywhere from one and a half to six times normal when this happens. So it's not an insignificant abnormality or seven and a half times, excuse me. So we're measuring range of motion three times a day, every day. We do that actually for the entire first year. We monitor the patient from seven in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. For the entire first year, we back off in years two to 20 so that we can have more measurements when we do it every day in the first year. And what we'd like to be able to do is be able to tell if you're a red patient, so a patient with normal range of motion by the time we get to three months, or a blue patient, so a patient who doesn't get 90 degrees of flexion or doesn't get full extension by the time they get out to six weeks. I'll point out, this is actual real data. So it's kind of interesting to see where people start out in their range of motion and how it progresses. Importantly, this is functional range of motion. So this is the range of motion that's used while a person's walking. This is not maximal range of motion. We don't have the patient going through those. But we can track that. If you look at the data, the interesting thing is how variable it actually is, right? So you get a lot of variability across that, that first part. And so having a lot of data points is pretty important because people have a lot of daily variability. But the goal here is if I knew my patient was a blue patient at two weeks. Could we institute more physiotherapy? Could we break that scar tissue up before it was more tenacious? And could we turn that patient into a red patient without having to do anything? So 
The first data we had was all the data I showed you. This is an MUA patient. You can see exactly what happens. They fall behind from a lot of different categories. The one thing I will point out is that even after you do have an MUA, you don't tend to go back up to the higher profiles anymore. So you can see why the cost stays there. Because you're not really able to get to higher levels after you've required an MUA. And now what we're doing is trying to come up with a check engine light. This is my last slide. So this is where we're at right now. We have submitted those recovery codes to the FDA, so that we'll be able to use those soon. Now we're looking at what I would call the check engine lines. So now we take all those methods, patient activity, age, how about you limping, which are range of motion, pull them all together into a single metric. And what we are able to see is that you can tell very clearly which patients are doing well and which patients are falling behind. And if you're in the low area of this indice, you have about a tenfold higher increase of requiring an So I'll stop there. In the long run, what we'd really like to be able to do is do what we did in cardiology, which is understand gait and movements, rhythm abnormalities, limping, GDT, loosening, micromotion, things like that, but then ultimately get to physiology. Can we look at other things that are happening by using these gait tracings and matching abnormalities to what's seen on clinical outside of that? So with that, I will stop, and thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Bill Hunter and Canary Medical. On our next episode, we will be hearing from a panel of venture capitalists with an interest on the MSK space and hear what they are expecting from the markets in the next year or two. We look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed this presentation and will consider joining us live in San Francisco for DocSF 2023 when we will explore how digital technologies will enhance, support, and enable the expansion of the outpatient surgery arena. Register now to join our mailing list at docsf.health, docsf.health, and be the first to access our limited tickets. DocSF, join the revolution.